0: I love Fridays because I bring in the heavy hitters. It's like the Bronx Bomber himself, although he may not like the comparison to the Bronx. Vegas Runner, what's up, VR?
1: My man, my man, good morning. Good morning to all your followers and listeners, and, uh... Glad to be on, brother. Always looking forward to Fridays with Gil.
0: Thank you, sir. And and this time I didn't, you know, we, we had said early on, I was like, you know, remind me because until it becomes a routine thing. And then this week is the first week where I didn't even have to remind you. And here we are. I like it.
1: No, no, now it's a given. You know what I mean? This is one of the shows I do, honestly, I, I look forward to. So I know every Friday I'll, I'll be ready. And as we move on, baby, football will be here soon and Fridays will be as important as they come.
0: Dude, well, that's why I'm so happy to have you on Fridays because it's with an eye towards that coming up in a few months. In the meantime, just a menu of sports once again. Baseball, basketball, another triple crown race for us tomorrow. I know we're not particularly horse guys, you and me, but maybe we've heard something in the air. We'll get to that. And then, of course, hockey tonight, too, a Game 7, perhaps a historical Game 7 in the National Hockey League between the Bruins and the Flyers. Let me talk about basketball first, though, VR, since that's what's fresh in our mind from last night. The implosion... Of the Cleveland Cavaliers, I want to ask you first of all. First of all, congratulations! You had a sweep last night, and the uh, Celtics were part of that sweep. I know. What did you make of that last minute during that game last night? Uh,
1: thank you, brother. I started off uh, losing in the morning with baseball, then came back at night with uh, the Celtics in Florida. And actually, I was talking to Chad Millman yesterday afternoon from ESPN, and he had called one in to know some information about the game. He was doing an article on the Boston and, and Cleveland game. You know, it's a big game six. And I actually was telling him, I really thought that Cleveland had already prepared themselves to exit after that game five. I mean, everything that, just the way they looked at the end of game five, just the things that were coming from LeBron when, when he started defending that at age 25, we shouldn't be talking about his legacy yet. I and mean, this was a guy who already seemed to have one foot out the door and had already realized he's not going to win the 2010 NBA championship with the cast he has. I mean, that that's the bottom line. I think it just sunk in that they're not better than Boston, they're definitely not better than Orlando, and then having to face the West, too. It seems like they just realized That this team was not going to win the 2010 NBA championship, and no better example than those final two minutes when they just seemed like let's just get it over with. I mean, they weren't fouling, they didn't. It was just it was ridiculous display for such a, a big game six like that. I was I was very disappointed. Happy in the results disappointed in the lack of effort from the Cavaliers.
0: Yeah, it was very strange. They had cut a 14-point lead at roughly 4 minutes left in half to 7 with about 2 minutes left, but when when they couldn't cut it lower than that at about the 1 minute and some change mark, yeah, they just sort of laid down. It's interesting what you're saying. So you're saying that it was the post-game Game 5 interview with LeBron being asked questions about his legacy where you saw the sort of defensive answers in other words where you're like oh he's mentally done
1: yeah and usually I mean I try to be very careful because most things that come out of locker rooms and press conferences you know they tell us what we want to hear and everything's pretty much prepared and everyone follows the script you know no one more or less tells the truth Um, but once in a while you get athlete where they either slip or they just have this moment of clarity you know and you could pick something up and listening to just the way LeBron was speaking he wasn't speaking as a guy who was revved up about let's bring this back for game seven you know like okay we had a terrible game everyone played bad all we got to do now is go to Boston and bring it back here for Game 7. That wasn't the attitude. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's what you said. It was all defensive. Yeah. And, you know, to me, I loved Boston. And to tell you the truth, as sick as this sounds, there was even a little part of me last night that wouldn't have been as upset if Cleveland won the game because I honestly would have came back with a game-of-the-year type size wager Game seven on Boston. Oh, I see. Because I I really thought Boston's going to advance. And I would have actually went into game seven, grabbing the points and betting some of the money line. I didn't think this Cleveland team was going to advance, you know, after watching how Boston just dismantled them at home in back-to-back games. You know, they beat them in game two in Cleveland. They beat them in game five in Cleveland. And they put a whipping on them. They were just outclassed.
0: Let's say Cleveland wins that game by, I don't know, let's say three points yesterday. What do you think the spread on a Game 7 would have been in favor of Cleveland?
1: That, that's a great question. I mean, uh, the thing is, with Cleveland, you're always going to pay a premium because of the LeBron. And that's why Boston came out as a pick yesterday. And the wise guys unloaded on Boston because the true line on that game should have been closer to three. Mm -hmm. We know that historically, over 60% of the times, when a team in Boston's position, up 3-2, they usually close out the series in game six a little over 60% of the time. More importantly, they win the series over 75% of the time. And this is in all sports that have a seven-game series, not just NBA and that's a pretty big sample size, so I mean, Boston really, I think, had the leg up there. Um, but the oddsmakers, they're going to put out a fair line in the playoffs and not a true line because there's so much public money, and their objective is to balance the action. And because of that, I think Cleveland would have came out a little bit inflated. um in game one, they were a six seven point favorite. they won by eight. Game two, they were a six-point favorite. They lost the game, you know, by 18 points. I think if they came back, it would have been right around there. I think they would have opened it up around six and a half, seven. And I think the wise guys would have jumped all over Boston, but there would have been more than enough public money on Cleveland to help balance the books. Especially you would have seen a ton of Cleveland teasers to where they just have to win the game. Because we all know game sevens, the whole point of of getting home field advantage is in case there is a game seven you want that game seven to be played at home um but i would definitely think the value would have been on boston but the public money would have still came in on cleveland even yesterday people just did not want to believe that cleveland was not going to advance they just couldn't comprehend it
0: yeah you know it's so true I agree with you about that line exactly too. I think you're exactly right. It would have been right at that mark where the teasers would have just forced a uh, you know a Cleveland hypothetical win, in other words, and the public would have been all over that number without question. And, and you're right. It was almost as if last night. You know, it was just a refusal to imagine that the great LeBron couldn't have advanced. What no, it, it,
1: it, it was because, I mean, you saw that that even though the public was betting Cleveland and uh, the books knew this was going to happen, the late money on Cleveland, believe me, you see those betting percentages that said, you know, Boston had 50, 55 percent, that's bullshit. the only reason that the The betting percentages were skewed like that was because so much wise guy money came in on Boston. But the public was on Cleveland. All the late money, every bookmaker, every local bookmaker on the East Coast, West coast that I spoke to was getting Cleveland money. They were getting Cleveland teasers. Um, you know, no one could believe that Cleveland was going to lose. But I think the sports books showed us that they were not afraid of this. I mean, they were willing to give the public a better number and the reason for that and i think this is a good lesson for the listeners when you see that the books are hesitant to adjust the number because they know the public's going to come in on, on on that team like let's say you got team a playing team b okay. the book knows that the public's going to hammer team b but early on the wise guys bet team a So at that point, the books have a a decision to make. Do we adjust the line to stop the wise guys from hitting us and give the public a better number, even though we know they're, they're willing to take a worse number? And a lot of times they'll adjust and open themselves up to a possible middle, but sometimes they won't. And yesterday they seemed hesitant to move off that one. But what was happening was the wise guys were at the window saying, you're going to keep letting us lay pick them or one. We're going to keep doing it, and they physically forced the hand of the sports books up to one and a half and higher. You know, some locals went to two. I know. Um, so I mean, that's one of those cases where the better, if you're monitoring a line move, you need to be able to see that that the books are, are so don't want to give the public a, a better number, but because the wise guys love this side so much, they're willing to do it. And to me, I mean, that was as much of a confirmation as you could get as far as supporting the Boston
0: side. That's outstanding. Now, how much of that, though, VR is you have to have the experience of VR to recognize that kind of thing, and how much of that can the actual, you know, sort of newbie better recognize?
1: Yeah, the, the newbie better's going to have problems if he doesn't have solid sources. And by solid sources, I mean true bookmaker that's going to tell him where the money is, because... What most handicappers rely on, what most sports bettors rely on, are the sites that show us public betting percentages. But what most people just don't understand is that what they're showing is ticket count.
0: That's right. Not
1: actual money bet. And as a bookmaker, ticket count is the least of my worries. I have no, I don't care how many tickets I write on Team A. What I care about is how much money's bet on Team A. Mm -hmm. The ticket count's irrelevant. I could have 100 tickets, you know, for $100 each on on Team A. Someone come in, bet 10 dimes on the other side, you know, and all of a sudden that ticket count means absolutely nothing. So I think you have to be very careful, and that's why a newbie will have problems because what they saw yesterday was, this action looks balanced. There's 55% on Boston. Wow. The public might even be on Boston when nothing could have been further from the truth. The wise guys were on Boston. The public was on Cleveland. In fact, the wise guys kept betting Boston and forced the hand of the sports books, you know, which pretty much gave it away. They, they were unloading Boston. They were unloading the under. They got there with both yesterday. And I think that's the problem with the newbie that, not that they don't comprehend it or that they don't have the ability to reason at the, that kind of level. I just think they haven't acquired the, the, the accurate sources, the strong sources where they could be you know, confident in their conclusion. You know, as confident as I am, at least. You know, I had no doubts. You know, when I talked right. to Chad, I was telling him, this is what I know, not what I
0: think. You know, that's the difference. Just a programming note on Monday, I'm definitely bringing back Mark Spears from Yahoo Sports, who has been kind enough to uh, join us a couple times already. He does the NBA for Yahoo, and he was a big believer in the fact that this was LeBron's year, so he'll be on the show on Monday to recap everything uh, from a non-line perspective. Back to the lines for a second, though. Okay, that was... That was interesting. Our, our hypothetical line for a Cleveland-Boston Game 7 VR was around six or six and a half. So if we move forward now to games one of both the Celtics Magic Series and the Suns Lakers, what do you know? Our line in both of those game ones is six. Interesting. What are we, uh, what are we thinking about those two right now?
1: Both- yeah, the the, the line, the, uh, surprisingly, the line for the uh, Lakers actually dropped uh, a little, while the opposite, the line for Orlando, went up a little. Um, I, I think there, there's a little bit of, of wise guy money there, and there's a little bit of wise guy money trying to get ahead of the market. And let me explain. As far as the Lakers side, um, them grabbing the plus seven, I believe it's based on, on, on their true power ratings that show the Lakers should not be a seven-point home favorite. And I agree with that 110% because I had said on our podcast with Marco as well as with Dan and Mike that people might call me crazy, but right now I actually, on a neutral court, would make the Lakers and Phoenix a pick mm-hmm. uh, The most I would make the Lakers is maybe a one-point favorite. And even then, it's a little bit more perception than than true intrinsic value, you know, because the way Phoenix is playing right now, they're playing as good as anybody in the league. In the other series, as far as it opened five and a half, and now we're seeing as high as six and a half um, at some spots, six at other places, I believe that was one of those positions and i more or less got it confirmed this morning when i spoke to a couple people that was one of these positions where the wise guys are getting ahead of the market and the reason for that is simple you have orlando who is only the sixth team in nba history to start the playoffs eight zero. their stock is on the rise I'm upset with that because coming into their playoffs, I I was looking at a future, and I was so close to pulling the trigger on Orlando, and I didn't. Um, And right now I'm afraid the value may be lost from this team. Um, Because their stock is rising so quickly. So what the wise guys did here was simply say, let's get ahead of the market and lay the points with Orlando, because that's where the public money is going to go. Let's face it. Boston just came off a a tough game six, a grueling series, uh, more or less. People are even questioning, you know, was that their goal? Beat Cleveland, the best team, supposedly. You know, the Eastern Conference representative, supposedly. When this playoff started, Cleveland was a huge favorite to come out of the East. Um, So there's questions there, you know. What does Boston have left? So I think the public was definitely going to take the favorite. They're going to tease the favorite down. And the wise guys, knowing this, got ahead of the market. And what's going to happen come Saturday, or Sunday, excuse me, is if the betting public continues to pound Orlando with the wise guys and they continue to tease Orlando and this line gets to seven, about a half hour before game time, you're going to see them put out the call and take Boston plus the points because Orlando's not a true position based on you know, an edge that they think they have in the number. It's just one of those positions that they're willing to take because they know the market's inefficient. And because of that, the line's going to move and, that's what we're seeing happening already the six and a half. So they got the best of it. They already have a tiny middle opening up, and it should only
0: grow between now and tip off. And for the series now, by the way, if, if for series betters, Magic are minus two seventy-five, Celtics plus two thirty-five coming back, and in that vicinity anyway. Lakers a little bigger favorite, sort of minus three forty range, and Phoenix at plus two eighty coming back. This with the Suns. Sort of historically in the playoffs, the Suns are a team that kind of dominates the Lakers over the years in the playoffs. I don't know how much that matters, you know, for the 2010 version, but this is a team that has had playoff success. Four out of five playoff series uh, have resulted between the two teams in the Suns beating the Lakers. Um, So it should be—I'm very much looking forward to to these two series. Am I hearing, VR, that perhaps— you are in the camp of, and I don't want to give away anything right now, but maybe you're in the camp of waiting to see if those lines bounce up even more?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you the truth. The first game with Phoenix and Lakers, I'm a little hesitant to grab the points right now. I'm still doing some work, and and the reasons, I'll be straight with you. I don't like to, to, you know, go around the question and avoid the answers because listeners want to know, You know what we're thinking and as far as being a paid handicapper I don't have a problem you know if I like something I'm going to tell you if you ask me the question and the truth is my concerns with Phoenix is this they're the type of team that believe it or not rest is a bad thing because they are an offensive type machine that has to run efficiently And what happens is when you have a break, all of a sudden that machine isn't running as smoothly as it was. I mean, we we have so many, you know, past results that support this. You look at even football teams with bowl games. You know, some of these high-powered offenses in college football, they have three weeks before their game, and all of a sudden they go in and only score 17 points because offense is one of those things that has to be clicking. For you to be efficient, and I think a break does you bad, Um, especially when you're a team that's as hot as Phoenix has been. Um, That's the worst thing that could happen to you. On the flip side, the Lakers, the rest is an advantage for this team because here's a team that plays a little more defense, so they're going to be more physical, and because they're more physical, they're going to be more banged up. So the rest is actually going to do them well. And you get Kobe getting healthier, you know, Odom's getting his rest. He's a little older. So, you know, it's one of those situations where I think the Lakers benefit from the break. And Phoenix, you know, it's a negative that they had the break. Um, So I was a little surprised that the wise guys came out and grabbed the seven right away. But I could understand that because there's no sharp power ratings that would make Lakers that high of a favorite. So obviously there's a little perception added into the line. So they saw some line value. But as a better myself, uh, to take Phoenix right now, I, I got to at least find out that practices have been going great, you know, as far as offense is still clicking. Because that is a big disadvantage, having that break.
0: And the totals right now um, are at 189.5 in the Boston game one and 210.5 in, and In the Phoenix-Lakers game one. By the way, the Boston game is Sunday afternoon. That's actually the game that's being played first. So the Celtics have a uh, relatively quick turnaround. And then the NBA, in all its wisdom, we have to wait till Monday uh, to check out the Phoenix and the Lakers
1: series. Go figure, man. That was crazy. Uh, the, them totals, what happened was the Wise Guys bet the under on that Phoenix total. And what we saw was during the regular season, two games went over, two games went under. Um, but no line was lower than 212 and a half. Um, and when they—that's why when they brought this out at 212, I kind of laughed. It was right there at that lowest number. Um, wise guys jumped under right away, and I have to agree with them there. Um, I think there's a lot of value, in, and the true total sh- will, should not be 210. And I believe as the series progresses, we're going to see a drop in the total instead of the total going up. Um, even when they would go to Phoenix, I don't think it's going to be that much higher, uh, because I believe this total is inflated, and there's going to be enough support from Sharps on the under to stop the books from over-adjusting. As far as the Boston-Orlando series, you know, you think of these two teams, you think more defense than anything else, especially the way Boston just shut down Cleveland and the way that Orlando shut down the Hawks. I mean, the Hawks scored over 84 points just one time. In that series, Jeez. you know, and Boston allowed more than 88 points just one time in their series. So seeing that total didn't surprise me that low, uh, especially when you look at the season series, three of the four games went over and, and went under. Excuse me. And the only game that went over the total went over by a half a point and landed on one ninety when the total was 189 and a half. So, I mean, everything points to these two teams going under. With that said, how much defense and defensive intensity will Boston be able to bring to a game one after what they just went through with Cleveland? So, for myself, to be honest with you, I would look to play game one over the total, wow. even with these two dominantly defensive, low scoring teams. I think the edge, as far as the situation, is to the over. And in the other game, I think the edge is to the under.
0: Wow, that's okay. Solid information right there from VR. Actually, actual real-life leans right there. I like it.
1: No, I mean, no one wants a guy that's going to sit on the fence. Now, I'm not going to give you an opinion. I just reach out of the sky. If I really feel (laughs) something, I'm going to give it to you. And with those totals, I do. And I could tell you right now, um, I'd say 90% on my card for those days, I'll either have that side or no side at all. I would be it would take a lot of information for me to want to bet that Boston Orlando under or Phoenix Lakers over. So I have no problem being honest with your you know your listeners from the work I've done right now those are my actual true leans. As far as the sides I'm not there yet, but as far as the totals I'm pretty close.
0: All right, over in the Boston Orlando and under in the Phoenix Lakers series. Very interesting. Um and by the way just out of curiosity just to uh just so that I know this to be correct, yesterday, game six of the uh, Celtics Cavaliers, a whole bunch of wise guys hit the under right on that one. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. They bet under 196. And I remember from when, back when I was a runner, um, and this kind of, it was funny, I was talking to Marco about this, and I said, you know, because they like the under, that almost guarantees me that this is a true position and that they're not going to take plus two on Cleveland because that's even what um, Chad Millman asked me. And, And RJ, do you think this is an attempt at a middle because it might be such a close game? And believe it or not, the only key number, more or less, in basketball, other than most games end around five or six points, they say. Two's the key number because supposedly a team that uh, might miss a a free throw intentionally. Anyway, to make a long story short, the question was, are the wise guys just setting up a nice middle for themselves, Um, which made total sense. I thought by them coming out and steaming the under the way they did, in fact, not only did they steam under 196, But then there was a late move, Uh, another buy order sent out. They were willing to go under 194, Mm -hmm. and that's just, I mean, that tells you, that speaks volumes, and I only wish it wasn't that late that I got that information, about 15 minutes before game time, or else I would have used it and been on the under myself with my clients that they loved it that much because a, a middle had opened up. Um, a three-point mid on the total, and they didn't take it. Instead, they thought it was still too high and were willing to go under. Um, what that told me was, back in the day when I was a runner, we always used to laugh, we knew if it's an elimination game, these guys bet the unders. I don't know why. I don't know if historical data supports it. I've never gone back to do the work. But supposedly, these guys feel that when it's an elimination game, you know, there's a, a tendency for it to stay under. And when I saw that, that pretty much confirmed to me, this is a true move. They ain't no way they're buying this back. No one had told me were, there was a chance of them buying it back. So, I mean, obviously, you know, I knew that going in. But the fact that they were steaming the under so hard made me think back 10, 12 years ago when I was on this trip and getting that order. And I knew you know, oh, these guys love this game. So, you know, it was just one of those moves, man, where they steamed it and they ended up hitting both sides, which has been rare in these playoffs, I'll tell you that.
0: Yeah, by the way, I should say, you know, at halftime of that game yesterday, 100 points had been scored. Exactly. And And the
1: first and second quarter, I'll tell you what, nobody with an under ticket was smiling.
0: Right. You know? But then Cleveland came through with another dud half and that was the end of that.
1: Exactly. That game was on pace for an over. I mean, let's tell it like it is. Yeah. But, you know, it didn't. It stayed under. So what are you gonna do?
0: Okay. Well, let's talk. Uh, let's talk uh, baseball for today. Uh, full card of baseball games. One day game at Wrigley. The rest are in the evening. What on the board today? Sort of. Uh, piques your curiosity VR.
1: I like. Believe it or not, there's a, a couple small favorites that I call my small ball baseball. Anything under 130 to me, isn't really a big, you know, a, a heavy favorite.
0: Yeah, I call them affordable faves.
1: You know? Yeah, I mean, someone, if, especially if you're home, you, you have to have some kind of, one of the teams going to be favorite. It's kind of like putting a point spread of one and a half, two, you know? Yeah. Someone's got to be favored more or less, if you're not going to make it a pickup Um, And that's what stuck out in this board, that I like a couple of these small favorites. Um, I'll, I'll give them to you right now. I was looking at Boston. Uh, against detroit Mm -hmm. um here's a detroit team that that came off looking good you know uh against who else the the new york yankees and all of a sudden detroit's 20 and 15 and only two and a half back um behind minnesota boston on the flip side who'd have thought they'd be fourth Right. right now in the al east you know with with toronto ahead of them mm-hmm. um and the fact that the odds makers brought boston in as a favorite you know speaks volumes and i think they definitely should be the favorite um i like Buckholz in this spot i really do um i never been that impressed with scherzer to be honest with you um and i, I worry that the detroit really hits right handers at home you know they're one of those teams where you definitely got to. Take look at the platoon effect, and I'd rather them be facing a, a nice left-hander. But I'll I'll tell you straight out, right now I'm leaning Boston. I, I like Boston in that one. Uh, they won two or three against Toronto. This is one of those road trips. They're six and six on the road. Uh, I think they try to make up some ground here and uh, do well in this series against Detroit.
0: And uh, Scherzer, just to sort of uh, give you a little more ammunition, he has gotten shelled. Uh, The last three times out, 21 earned runs on 27 hits in his last 13 innings, in his last three games.
1: Uh, Another game that's sticking out to me, I'll tell you right now, is the Milwaukee Brewers over the Philadelphia Phillies. Yes, I know, Milwaukee just got swept at home against Atlanta, okay? But because of that, I think we're getting some line value here. Um, Let's tell it like it is. Milwaukee right now is 4-11 at home, okay? So that that's as bad as you're going to get, you know, winning 25%, 26% of your home games. But I've been doing this long enough to know that this team, when when we look at this, the standings come September, they're not going to be a 25%, you know, winning team at home. They're going to be much closer to 50-50, if not higher. Um, so this is a team I really think that you're going to start getting some value with them at home because what people are seeing is that 4 and 11 record and i'm one of those handicappers that that likes to believe that there's laws that govern what we do and you know just like there, uh, people believe what energy in the universe and this and that make a long story short i tend to think that th- things always tend to go back to the mean eventually just like people you know someone Mm -hmm. could change for a week a month a year eventually the true person comes out you know you're not going to change who you are you are who you are and i think it's like that with sports um and when you see a team like that where where they're around 500 but one of those categories is is skewed heavily I think that's where you need to focus and say, you know what, it should come back to the mean a little bit. And for me, when I look at this Milwaukee team, it's their home record that I think, you know, adds some perception, skews their record, skews their numbers, and I think they're going to that's going to go back to the mean, meaning you're going to see closer to 50-50. And sitting at 4-11, that means they have some ground to make up. So this is a team that I'll be looking to back at home. I don't know if that makes sense to everyone.
0: I'm a a huge regression to the mean guy on almost everything, sabermetrics-wise especially. Um, But I can appreciate it also for a home record on a team that's not bad at all. Milwaukee's not a 4-11 team anywhere especially not at home, and so that's interesting, a regression to the mean in terms of the record. My thing is also this, and I'm sure you factored this in as well, VR, um, that it's Jamie Moyer coming off a, a, uh, you know, a complete game two-hit shutout against Atlanta, yeah. and so you know that there's something built into that line with public perception on that.
1: Absolutely, my friend, and not just that, but Milwaukee likes to hit left-handers. Mm-hmm. And here's another thing I wanted to add. And here's another small little edge. Wolf was supposed to go against Colorado. I mean, uh, what's it called? Um, Moyer was supposed to go against Colorado. Right. He, he was up on the rotation, correct? And he didn't get a chance to pitch. So here's a guy who hasn't pitched since the seventh. And I know it's not, you know, a 10-day or 12-day or 14-day difference. But believe it or not, when you're used to going every four, every three, every five, I mean, every four or five, thats mu- your body has muscle memory. And I, I, I really track that. And, and through the years, I've had a lot of success with that. When a pitcher, not when they come off the DL, because that's different. When, when they're off the DL and they've had 20 days, 15 days, uh, that kind of break is different because they're slowly and gradually getting them back in the game shape you know they're they're simulating games for them in practice and stuff like that but when you miss a start because of a rain out or because maybe you know you got stiffness while you were warming up just anything for a pitcher it changes so much of the dynamics I think and you have a big edge going against pitchers that all of a sudden are out of their comfort zone. It's like, you know, how many pitchers do well on three-game rest? And and that's just one of those things. And I think it's the same way the other way around. If you're used to going every five, every four, and all of a sudden now you don't go and you go eight days later, I think it's going to have some sort of effect, and I think the effect's going to be negative, if anything. So I I think we have a lot of things working for us on this Brewers team tonight. I like Milwaukee. I like the short price, and it's one of those games that I think is definitely going to make my card
0: tonight. A couple other things in that game, and I officially stayed off that game. Um, but there's a couple things. People, it's funny with a, you know, everyone's, oh, he's the oldest pitcher, Jamie Moore, 47 years old, to uh, throw a complete game shutout, and, and it was phenomenal and an, an amazing thing, but people immediately, quickly forget that he's a guy that often gets shelled very early. So you could know in this game right out of the shoot. You know, this could be this could be one of those games, and I don't want to jinx it for you. But this could be one of those games where you know very early if you're a winner or not. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, you're right. You're right. If it's if it's zero zero in the fourth, you might be in trouble.
0: Yeah, and Wolf is one of these guys this year. It's really you know, and this completely is just there's there's no rhyme or reason to it. But when he is a winning pitcher, he gets a boatload of runs behind him. He is one of the biggest run supports. For uh, nine innings in baseball this year. But in the games that he's lost, the Brewers have given him zero, nothing. They have not scored a single run for him in his losses. So it's really feast or famine with Wolf. So, again, pointing to a, you know, one of these things, if you're to believe the statistics, you're going to know early on uh, in this one if you're a winner or loser, if that means anything. No, no, I agree 100%. All right. Uh, anything else baseball-wise?
1: Uh, the other game that was sticking out for me that we're talking small ball – is uh, looking at this Baltimore Orioles team Wow. Uh, come alive the last two nights against Seattle, yeah. and winning that 6-5 game to me was actually more impressive than the 5-2 game. Um, and you, when you look at Cleveland, here's a team that's won three of their last four, but when you go further back than that, I mean, they're just not playing that well. Not that Baltimore's playing great either, but uh, this is one of those games that, for some reason, to be honest with you, uh, I think there's some value with Guthrie. That's tough to say when the team's one and six behind them. But last two games, he just he hasn't been that bad. I mean, he went six innings, only gave up three runs on the road against Minnesota. Went seven innings against the Yankees. So he's pitching better than he has early in the season. And uh, being at home here, I Eileen Guthrie, you know, it's not one of those games that I've been able to confirm, but just one of the, another one of those small ball ones that stick out at me.
0: Well, you and I, uh, we think exactly alike on that game. I actually wrote in my write-up uh, on the threads in the forum, um, in the uh, pregame forums, I actually used the words, the Orioles are tempting here, you know, but, I said after that. But I agree with you. Guthrie, actually, you know, that dude, in in seven starts this year, five of them have been quality starts. He's a pretty formidable pitcher. The reason I stayed off in the end is because... Masterson for Cleveland. He actually looked really good last time out of Detroit. And I'm being a sabermetrics guy. VR, here's where you here's where you may be like, oh boy, here he comes with these numbers. But Masterson is one of these guys who, if you're to believe the sabermetrics, you talk about like regressing to the mean. He's probably primed for a good performance here one of these nights. The question is whether it's tonight or or, or another night. But I did lean Baltimore. I just couldn't pull the trigger on him.
1: No, I agree. You know he. he... And he, he pitches better at home, we've seen this year, you know. And that, that's another thing, though, that I, I agree. I think Masterson's due for a, a good game, especially when you look at the last two. You know, again, he's the guy who went six innings against Detroit, only gave up three earned runs in his last start. But when you look at how he's done on the road, I think that's where we get a little edge. The last two times out against Oakland and Minnesota, he didn't get into the fifth inning. He was out by the fourth. You know, in eight innings of work, he gave up twelve earned runs, um, or nine earned runs, twelve runs total. So I think he's due for a good game. But I think if I'm going to back Masterson, I'd look to do it at home.
0: Okay, let's have our let Let's have the first betting Dork hockey talk ever right now on this show. And I am always curious. You're a Philly guy, born and raised in Philly, correct? Yes, sir. All right. So I'm always curious to ask people from who are you know born and bred in certain towns what the sports sort of hierarchy is in that, in that town. What, what, how would you rate, in terms of fan passion in Philly, the, the major sports?
1: Wow, back in the day, it, it changes. It, it, Philly's one of those towns where it seems to have changed. Back when I was young, believe it or not, and now we're seeing it with the HBO special, hockey was number one when I was a little kid. I mean, back with the Broad Street Bullies in the 70s, believe it or not, Hockey was was the the big thing in Philadelphia. I mean, everyone was a hockey nut. Then, believe it or not, it started turning into basketball, and the Sixers won a championship for us in 83. Then Villanova won a championship in 85. So the city started getting behind basketball. Then all of a sudden, you know, Randall Cunningham comes. You know, the Eagles start playing better, and it becomes a football town. Mm -hmm. Now, the Phillies got us to a World Series and won it, got us to a World Series again. They lost, but still back-to-back World Series. Now it seems to be the passions in Phillies. I mean, you see Phillies hats in the winter when the Eagles are playing. It's become a Phillies type of town. So right now, believe it or not, I have to put the Phillies up top, Eagles second, Flyers third. And uh, Sixers down at the bottom. Probably put Villanova above the Sixers. Right
0: now, <laughs> By the way, is it, it, maybe
1: LaSalle.
0: LaSalle. Sixers right now. <laughs> maybe Drexel. Um, the-
1: <laughs> yeah, but it, it's definitely the Phillies, man. Everybody's got Philly fever there, you know. And, and this is a team that you know is the same team, if not better, than the last two seasons, you know. I mean. They got Roy Halliday, You know what I mean. Yeah. So if anything, that has to be an improvement, right?
0: When you brought up Villanova in that VR, I died a little death. By the way, I just want to you that. <laughs> Let, so so let's you you referenced Broad Street Bullies, which, by the way, I just watched the other night on HBO a documentary about the Flyers' rise to the Stanley Cup and how they actually were put together. By the way, I found that fascinating. I had always known of the Broad Street Bullies, but I'm. Just young enough to not understand what they were quite all about, of course, when you say Bronx. Yeah,
1: I I didn't either, you know, I mean, I was born, you know, in 71, so to me, I was as young as a kid as you're going to get, but I just remember the hysteria around them, and I remember my older brother, and everyone was just like Flyers everything, you know what I mean? It was like, I mean, that was like a Flyers
0: town, man. Yeah, I mean, when they say Broad Street Bullies, I mean, what flashes in my head is that sort of image of Bobby Clark without the front teeth, you know, and that's kind of the Yeah, extent. yeah, Bernie
1: Perrant in the net. Yeah. You
0: know? I mean, that squad, boy. But when they, when you know, what was interesting about it was that they sort of made the case, not and it's going to sound brutal the way I say it, but they sort of, the, what they're saying is the Flyers essentially came into this wonderfully pure sport and, es- and essentially, for lack of a better term, trashed it. You know, yeah, it destroyed it, changed yeah, it forever. They absolutely you know I mean? destroyed
1: it. it, and you would expect it from a Philly type of club. Exactly,
0: you know? exactly. Which brings us to today. Um, by the way, game I, six. Yeah, I, well, game, game seven, seven. I would recommend that uh, that uh, doc to anybody. By the way, Broad Street Bullies on HBO. But uh, tonight, possibly a historical occurrence in the National Hockey League. This has only happened, I believe, two times before. Uh, well, if it does happen, we can say it will be the third time. We'll see if it happens. But only twice in NHL history, might be three, but I think it's twice, has a team come back from a 3-0 deficit to win a best-of-seven series. And tonight, staring in the face, the Flyers have the opportunity to do just that. The Bruins won the first three games. The Flyers have come back with the next three. What do you think, Mr. Philadelphia?
1: I'll tell you what. I mean, all what I keep hearing from people is that flyers are actually going to end up beating this team that you know boston's offense just has disappeared the last two games and it has i mean they have put up one goal in the last two games um you know and when before this team was, was scoring some goals um tell you the truth as as much as i wouldn't mind seeing philly advance i gotta like boston here man i mean it's a game seven at home historically, you're supposed to win. I mean, all the data supports that Boston has an advantage. And at this price, i got to say that I think, believe it or not, the value is with the home team. And people are starting to fall in love with this Flyers and the thought of coming back from a 3 nothing deficit that the oddsmakers have been forced, whether they like it or not, to adjust. Because, I mean, when you look at those, uh, what's it called, the first two games in Boston, Boston was a minus 160, 150 favorite,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know. And all of a sudden, it's down to 125. And sure, I know things have changed since game one, especially with the Flyers winning two, three straight. But I think that big of a price adjustment, uh, I just, I really got to like the, the Boston in, in this one. And especially after... Last night the Celtics got it done, and I think it's just one of those things where the city just keeps on celebrating, brother. Well, the, the and I, I mean, you know, you got a backup goalie. It's, I mean, we, we, with Boucher, yeah, they got a shot, and I might have even stayed off it. But right now, I'll be honest with you, I'm this close to. I'm looking at a total right now, but I'm this close to to instead giving out Boston. Wow.
0: From a Philly guy, let me let me say this though. Let me let me give a little historical. Uh, let me give a stat here that is might might sort of give you a, a little pause, but I'll just throw it out for for everybody, which is a fascinating sort of hockey-specific type of stat. For those who are not you know rabid hockey fans but follow basketball and other sports, you're used to thinking, oh, huge home home court advantage, say in basketball in a game seven situation. Well, in hockey, not only have we just seen the Canadians beat the Caps and the Penguins in Game 7. Sure. But in the last nine Game 7s, seven road teams have won in the NHL. That's amazing.
1: No, and in the last 40, it's 20-20 and in this round in the quarterfinals. Wow. In Game 7. You know, I mean, when you go back, since the start, since 1939, when it started, you know, these playoffs, whatever, make a long story short, it's 80 and 52, the home team, you know, 60%, 61%.
0: Which but is still not last, that high, yeah.
1: Exactly, but over the last 40, it's been a 50 50 proposition. I totally agree. I just, I know the momentum and everything's on the, with the Flyers, but I just think home, being home is just such an edge
0: mm-hmm.
1: and to me it, it's not it to tell you the truth because i haven't been doing you know much hockey any hockey this year it just to me it just simply has to do with value and i think there's just line value there
0: yeah, no. you know
1: i mean irrelevant about my feelings or you know anything else i just think as a as a professional sports better with the agenda of finding value i believe there's value on this boston team playing at home In Game 7, to lose four times to the same team with a backup goalie, you know, having only lay 120 right now, I've seen worse bets than that in my life.
0: Oh, absolutely. That's a good way to put it. I have seen worse bets than that. It's it's so (laughs) true. You know? Yeah, it is just. I mean, it is a fascinating. I guess for me, for the not for you know, I'm just a bandwagon hockey guy. When the caps. Yeah, do.
1: dude, I'm tired. I'm this year. I have not really gotten into it because so many other things have taken up all my time, and I'm more just a fan. And I enjoy watching the playoffs as much as anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even have a little vested interest. Sure, I wouldn't mind seeing a Philly team win a Stanley Cup. You know, but, but with that said, this is a game that I definitely want to watch. And, and if I'm going to have my money on it, my money is more important than my emotion, you know. And and, and and, you know, fulfilling some childhood need of, of rooting for my favorite team. And people, if I'm going to put my money down, it's going to go to where I think I have the best probability of, of making a profit. And for me right now, you know, unless I, over the next six hours... Something could change my mind. I gotta lean Boston.
0: People who follow pregame pros, who uh, I guess we shouldn't have to say that, but it's it's worth stating. Yeah, we never we never bet with our hearts. That's for sure. You know, in terms of childhood team loves, it's all about value. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. When you have Marco D'Angelo betting against the Steelers,
0: (laughs) that says it all right there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's gonna tell you right there.
0: (laughs) That's great. Um, but I do find that fascinating about hockey not to not to belabor the point about this game. But when when a Barry Melrose at ESPN comes on there and he says he goes and he'll say it, he'll be like, I don't know what it is about hockey specifically. He's very open about it. He's like, but w- unlike say basketball, and I would say to Barry, because it's the refing in basketball, Barry, but he's like, hockey players just think they can go in anywhere and win any game. So I just think that's interesting about that sport specifically. Because it's so high. Yeah, I agree.
1: I totally agree.
0: All right, so now I know VR that you you and I, I love this because we did this before the Derby. You and I are not Um, Marco D'Angelo-level horse racing guys, but it is always fascinating to hear before the Triple Crown races, because I know you said last time before the Derby, you're like, here's what I do. I just kind of listen to what the buzz is. So I ask you, we're like 24 hours, a little more than 24 hours in front of the Preakness. What have you heard in the air, my friend?
1: I'll tell you what, that Super Saver is for real. That's what I'm hearing. Really? Yeah, I'm hearing that Super Saver is the real deal. Um, I was hoping I didn't hear that. <laughs> you know, I'm hearing that it has a, a shot of winning the Triple Crown, believe it or not, um, uh, which is surprising when it's coming off the second Arkansas Derby, third in the Tampa Derby. Um, why they believe it's reached its peak, I don't know. But the other horse that is getting a lot of, of talk from the professional horse betters out here and this is a horse that i looked at and gave out last time for the derby but the problem was the field i mean you remember how sloppy it was and and it was just one of those ring drenched you know surfaces where anything could happen um but the horse right now and it, it did absolutely nothing in the derby but for zito to be bringing this horse back to run this race speaks volumes, and that's Jackson Bend.
0: That's exactly the horse that, and for for almost the exact same preamble. That's what Marco was talking about yesterday on my show. That he 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 basically said, "I'm putting words into Marco's mouth," but basically he was saying what you are, which is there's a reason why this horse is in this race, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it, it, this horse is not by accident. It was re- It was expected. It was one of those hidden gems that. That real horse racing people would not have been shocked if it would have won the Derby, because here's a horse that came off a second at the Wood Memorial, second at the Holy Bull, won the Fountain of Youth, you know. So this one was ready to, you know, jump out and grab something big, and I think what killed it was the the surface. So coming back this is one that people are going to overlook because it finished 12th in the Kentucky Derby.
0: Hmm. But I'm
1: telling you now, Jackson Bend, beware, just might get near there for us.
0: I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you. Well, wow, I like the Jackson Bend one. I'm going to be honest with you. The last thing that I expected you to say first though, was that you're hearing super saver is a possible triple crown horse. That's incredible. to yeah. me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When I, I, and this is from guys that don't believe the hype, you know, and just, and not because it's, it's that great of a horse.
0: Mm-hmm. But it's just but a weak field, the, right? The,
1: uh, f- this year we're looking at extremely weak field. By the way, that's
0: you, why. By the way, you can get Super Saver to win the Triple Crown right now at plus six fifty. So that's nothing to sneeze at either.
1: No, no. But I mean, you know, that that's he's got the right jockey on there. I mean, Calvin Burrell. and uh, he's as confident as he could get. And uh, these guys just think that you know, with Todd Pletcher finally getting over that hump, winning a Derby that the opportunity's there now for the triple crown because like you said, this is a weak field, man. Mm-hmm. I mean look at all these horses. Other than looking at Lucky, there's really no horse that, you right. know, anyone's really gotten excited about.
0: You know, you, you brought up Burrell. I felt, and, and, and I shouldn't feel stupid because I don't even follow horse racing besides the Triple Crown races, right? I show up for those every year. But when Calvin Burrell won aboard Super Saver in the Kentucky Derby, even as a layman fan, I felt so stupid afterwards because I'm just like, well, that was the only thing I knew about horse racing. I should have just met the jockey, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> like, how dumb and, I. and
1: Burrell said it after that race, too. He said, I'm going
0: to win the Triple Crown with this horse. By the way, his post-game interviews are just ph- – his post-race uh, interviews are just phenomenal. With his oh, guys. they're awesome. <laughs> I keep expecting him afterwards. Someone asked me, they're like, what do you think he's going to celebrate with And I said, oh, he's going to celebrate with nine raisins because <laughs> that's what jockeys do. I have no idea. He just, he just seems so happy with himself afterwards. So maybe, I mean <laughs> – Yeah, he does. Yeah. So Super Saver and um, Jackson Jackson Ben, baby. Hmm. Horse racing. Yeah. Hockey. Hockey miss nothing we miss nothing basketball baseball look forward to it another uh, huge weekend of sports and um where are you going to be watching all this stuff what, what does vr do when he watches the preakness where are you when you when you watch all this
1: uh, b- believe it or not <laughs> lately the, the, the kentucky derby i ended up watching at home because i was working throughout the day you know i went down to the strip early came back and, and i ended up working throughout the day um here at home, so I didn't go out anywhere, but I believe for this weekend I am going to head out. Marquez, one of the forum posters, is in town this weekend from Hawaii, so I'm going to go out and see him and nice. probably hang out at one of the strip casinos and watch the games.
0: <laughs> Let me ask you this, so if, if a forum poster that you've developed some sort of relationship with, let's say that happens to say to you hey i'm going to be in vegas there is a possibility that you could avail yourself is what you're saying
1: oh absolutely even if i haven't like you know really talked to the guy you know and become friends and stuff like i have with rob absolutely man i love meeting these guys because uh, you know you get to see the person you're talking to number one they get to see you and nine times out of ten they're my kind of people guy who loves sports, loves sports betting, so you have the same interests, more or less, you know you're going to get along, and I mean, everyone I've met, honestly, I thought was like really good people, man, and I, I try to go out and then see them all when they come, to be honest with you.
0: VR, my man, I love it, thank you, every Friday, Vegas Runner, right here on the Betting Dork Podcast, we talk about everything, and good luck this weekend with all of the above, I will definitely be watching the Preakness with those horses in mind. All right, brother. VR, betting dork, Gil Alexander, thanks so much for listening. Mark Spears from Yahoo Sports on Monday to talk about the NBA.